This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for April 14th, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Today's Gospel lesson is often known as the Redemption of Peter. It's an interesting story. It's the third time that Jesus has appeared to his disciples uh, since he has been raised from the dead. And if you recall, um, at one point he had said to Mary to tell the disciples to go ahead of me to Galilee and I will meet you there. And so that's what's happening here. They've gone up to Galilee and uh, they're waiting for the Lord to come. And then Peter, being Peter, says, I'm going fishing. Well, he does have a business, a fishing business up there, so he kind of went back to what he knew. And it's sort of what we do, isn't it? We always go back to what's comfortable, you know, when we're sort of out of sorts, things have changed, we don't really know where we stand or how things are supposed to be. We want to get back to the way things are supposed to be, which isn't necessarily good, it's just that at least we understand it. And so they go out and they're fishing, and, and guess what? They catch nothing. Do you ever notice how often this happens to them? I mean, it seems to happen a lot where they can't catch a darn thing. And then there's this guy on the shoreline who's standing on a rock there, and he yells out, children, have you caught any fish? Now, there's a couple of things about that. One is, did you hear what he called them? Children. These are grown men. (laughs) I doubt they really like that very much. But on top of that, being fishermen, professionals, they really probably didn't like this guy standing on the shore saying, have you caught any fish when he knows darn good and well they haven't caught anything? No. And it says, well, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they're like, yeah, right. So they throw their net on the other side of the boat, and what happens is the net's so heavy they can barely bring it in. And there ends up, we know that there's 153 fish in it. And, and it is at that point that the beloved disciple, John, says to him, it's the Lord, says to Peter. Now, how did John know that? Hmm? Who else could have done that? <laughs> He'd done it before, yeah. You remember earlier on um, when he first called them? You know, he, they'd been out all night fishing and they couldn't catch anything. He said, we'll throw it on your side. And so cast out and we'll do it again. And they do and they catch the fish. And so John remembers that this, this has happened before. Now, it's an interesting thing because it, it tells you something about where all this is going. What did, P, John, what did Jesus say to the three of them, uh, the four of them rather, the uh, Zebedee brothers and Andrew and uh, Simon, when they got to shore? Yeah, he will make them fishers of men. No longer, he said, will you uh, fish you know, for fish. You'll fish for people. And so John remembers. And Peter, being who he is, um, was, wow, it's Jesus. And so he puts on his robe and jumps out of the boat. Now, you would think with the last experience that he had had with Jesus being far away across the water, that he might have learned something 
But no, he didn't get it. I mean, it didn't work out too. I remember that time when the storm was going, the waves were up and down, and he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to get out of the boat and walk on the water. He says, well, come. So he did, and then until he realized that people can't walk on water, and they sank, you know, because he didn't have enough faith. But this time he's going to do it differently. He's not going to try to walk. He's going to swim. That's why he puts on a robe. That's what you all would do if you were going swimming. When you put on a big robe like this, so you can jump in the water. I mean, you have to wonder, so why was he putting on this robe? It says he was naked. Well, in reality, he wasn't completely naked. He was probably wearing a loincloth. But why would he have to put on a robe? Hey, he's in the presence of the Lord God himself. You know, you can't just go up to the Lord God in your loincloth. I mean, run up there in your underwear. That wouldn't be appropriate, would it? It'd be much better to go in a wet robe. And so he goes. And, and you know what happens when you try to swim in a big robe? Well, if you're a really good swimmer, you can do it, but it's not very easy. It takes a lot longer. And so what we know is that by the time Peter gets to the shore, the disciples are right behind him in the boat. So he'd probably been better off. And what's even better is what Jesus then says to Peter when he gets up to, to him and he runs up to him. He says to him, what? Go get the fish. <laughs> so Peter then gets to turn around and go back out into the water to haul the net in to get the fish, and then Jesus cooks the fish. And it says that none of them would dare to ask him, who are you, because they already knew who it was. Now, that's an interesting comment. How many times have you been afraid to ask somebody who you already knew who it was, who are you? That happened in your life a lot? Now, you're sitting there talking to somebody you know well, and you're afraid to ask them who they are? I mean, what's that about? Well, what it's really about is that all the, this is only the third time he's appeared, and all of them have a problem, don't they? They all know what led up to this event, and they all know where they've been. They all know that they ran away. They all know that they were jockeying for position about who was going to be great. You know, none of them stood by him when he was crucified. And I can imagine that none of them really wanted to have that conversation. Now, a little background, if you remember, Simon, who, when they were in Caesarea Philippi, before they departed to go south to Jerusalem, um, was the one who confessed him as the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and because of that, he gave him a new name, Peter. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. And so with his newfound papal authority, the first thing Peter does is say, well, not you, Lord, you're not going to go to Jerusalem and get crucified, for which he gets called Satan. And so as they're traveling on down, he finally gets to Jerusalem and he figures he's probably in better shape, you know, with the Lord, things are probably squared away now because he is still calling him Peter and he's still in the inner circle, you know, the three who he takes off with him when he wants to pray and stuff. So, you know, I guess he's forgiven me for that and everything's cool. And then they go to the Last Supper and, and he says, you know, the Son of Man will be betrayed in the hands of sinners. And Peter says, not me, Lord, I'd die before I betrayed you. He says, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows, you'll have denied me three times. And Peter, in order to prove that the Lord is not correct in this, because obviously he wouldn't do that, right? He, when they do come to arrest him, he draws his sword, right? And cuts off the slave of the high priest. And what, do you, what does he get for that valiant effort? He gets yelled at, Peter, put away your sword. 
Don't you think I could get the angels to come if that's what I wanted to do? So he still doesn't get it. And so he drops the sword and he runs. Now, he's not like some of the other disciples. We don't even know where they went. But he goes to the courtyard with the beloved disciple, and there he's asked, you're a Galilean, aren't you? Were you with that man? No, 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 not me, not me. And the very thing he said he wouldn't do, that he was willing to draw a sword for, when he doesn't have a weapon in his hand and he's just standing there, he becomes very afraid, and he's denied him. And it says that he went out and wept bitterly when it was all over with. Now, the one thing we know about the first two um, appearances is what conversations did Peter have with Jesus in those two appearances? You remember hearing them yet? If you don't, it's because there isn't any. He was remarkably quiet, wasn't he? And you can almost imagine why. He really doesn't want to get in to what happened. Because the Lord told him he was going to do this, and he denied it with every ounce of his being. He denied, not me, not going to do it, wouldn't happen. And that he did. Now here's the Lord again. How does he face him when he's denied him? And so, although he's glad he's alive, he also kind of wants to stay in the background a little bit because he really doesn't want to get into the middle of all this. And that's what's going on here at this breakfast. It must have been an interesting breakfast. The only thing you could hear was chewing. You, know, you almost have an imagining all these disciples sticking you know, fish in their mouths and bread and, you know, so they don't have to have any conversations. Nobody's talking. And so at the end of the meal, when everybody's done, they're all sitting there in that awkward moment when, well, is anybody going to name the elephant that's in the room? Jesus looks at Peter, only he doesn't call him Peter, does he? He says, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, son of John. Do you love me? Oh, man. <laughs> Peter didn't want to have his conversation. You know, of course, I love you, Lord. I mean, you know I love you. Of course, I denied you and ran off, but, you know, but yeah, I love you. Well, then feed my lambs. And so he says, oh, good. I'm glad that's over with. That's one of those things that's the, the, uh, the non-apology apology kind of thing. So maybe I don't have to say it. And then he goes on again, and he looks at me and says, Simon, Barjona. He goes, what? Do you love me? Well, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, then tend my sheep. Peter's going, oh, gee, he knows. He wants me to say those words. I'm sorry. I don't want to let it out. <laughs> I don't want to have to admit I was wrong. You know, I really don't want to have to do you know, grovel in front of everybody here. And so then a third time he says, Simon, do you love me? And at this point, Simon's exasperated. And he says, Simon, you know, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Now, this is where being able to go and do some word study really helps a lot because we don't have equivalents in English for what's really going on here. We do, but it's as it's complicated in English as, 
as it is in this passage. And I'll explain that in a moment. What Jesus says to Simon is, Simon, do you agape me? Do you have agape love for me? Do you have a kind of love where you would lay down your life for me? Well, that was pretty obvious, isn't it? <laughs> Can you imagine him at that point? He, he, it's clear he didn't, did he? And what's he going to say? And so he says, well, Lord, you know that I have philia love for you, where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. You know, you know I have great care and affection for you. You know, but but I didn't really measure up to that. He goes, mm, okay, feed my lambs. And then he asks him again. In a few minutes, he says, "But Simon, do you agape me? Do you have, would you lay down your life for me? Do you have that kind of love for me?" Oh, gee, I mean, he wants me to say no, because <laughs> yeah, obviously I don't. And he, and he says, "Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. I have filial love for you." He's oh, okay. Tend my sheep. And then he says, Simon, do you filia me? Do you really have great affection for me? And at this point, Simon's thinking, he didn't even believe me on that one now. He says, Lord, you know everything you know that I have that kind of great admiration and affection and care for you. How could you ever doubt that? And he says, then feed my sheep. So what's going on here is interesting, isn't it? Isn't it? Three times Peter had denied him. And three times the Lord asks him if he loves him. And you can almost imagine this conversation going on in English. It's like a guy who's got a great friend who went all through high school with her and they're getting ready to graduate and they've been buds from way back. And he says, I've got to tell you something. And, and she says, what? And he says, I, I love you. She goes, I love you too. He goes, no, 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 I, I, I love you. She goes, yeah, I love you too. And he goes, no, I love, love you. Okay, I love, love you too. <laughs> no, I mean, I like really, really, really love you. Because he's talking about something different, isn't he? She's talking about loving him as a friend, and he's talking about he's in love with her. And that's sort of what's going on here between Peter and Jesus. It doesn't measure up to where Jesus wants it to be. But here's the exciting part of this passage and why it's called the redemption of Peter. Is that, do you notice who moved their expectations in this conversation? Jesus did, didn't he? He didn't make Peter develop that kind of love and say, okay, I'm going to do that from now on. I promise I'll be good. I'll do what you want. He finally accepted Peter right where he was. And that's what restored Peter. But, it's an important but, he didn't leave him there either. He didn't say, so that's good enough, guys. That's all you need. What he says, but I tell you something. When you were young, you used to put on your own belt and go wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old... Someone else will put a belt around you and you will stretch out your arms and you will go where you don't want to go. And we know that happened. 
we know that um, it's exactly what happened because when he was crucified, he was crucified upside down. And one of the things they would do when they crucified you upside down was they would strap a rope around you to help hold your torso up because when you're upside down, most of your weight's at the bottom and there's a tendency to want to fall. So they have to strap you to the cross more so, whereas if your upper body's hanging on the cross, it's up there already. And so surely enough, you know, he ended up being crucified, which is what kind of love? Agape. He ended up loving Jesus in exactly the same way that he said he would. And even more so, everything now has changed, isn't it? Because if you recall, Jesus had said, you know, you'll leave this and you're going to become fishers of men. Well, they've gone back to fishing for fish. But from that point on, Peter fishes for people. Even to the point where in Rome, when the city of Rome caught on fire and Nero decided he needed someone to take the blame for this, 